0: Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. In this installment, I spoke to Pierre Bordage, who's global head of biopharmaceuticals at Sandoz, about the big issues in biosimilars. In particular, we looked at how biosimilars are changing healthcare and what the market looks like today. We also discussed Sandoz's involvement in this area and the company's future plans in biosimilars. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharmaforum. Yeah. Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So I wanted to dive right in with getting your thoughts on where we are with biosimilars today uh, around the world. I mean, from from your perspective, what does the biosimilars market look like today?
1: Well, the biosimilar market today is very dynamic and exciting um, and growing. Um, So the the first biosimilar was approved uh, way back in 2006. Um, But since then, uh, we've had lots and lots of experience in market, uh, particularly across Europe. Um, There have been just over 2 billion patient days of treatment in Europe alone. And now of course, biosimilars are are available um, in over a hundred countries across the world. So over the last five to 10 years, you've really seen this market grow. And and of course that means that today um, there are a lot more products. There's a lot more competition and there's a lot more information flowing uh, about biosimilars. Um, Now, if I, Kind of zoom into Europe, um, and that that's clearly the region where there's the most experience uh, with uh, more than sixty biosimilars approved, the highest number worldwide, a lot of experience on their use and safety, and uh, there's a lot of progress in Europe with all that that we've learned and all the experience that we have, there's a door opening on a discussion on how to further tailor biosimilar development so that we can Uh, hopefully develop even more biosimilars in the future. The UK health authorities just released their guidance related to tailored biosimilar development, which is very promising. And Europe has also seen a lot of positive reinforcement from regulatory agencies, national healthcare systems, and physician advocates uh, and patient advocates as well. Now, of course, it's not, all uh, perfect. As in any market, there's progress and and there are challenges. And we continue to have challenges in some parts of of Europe. Probably the simplest way to frame it would be to say that some parts of Western Europe are are, um, operating in a really healthy space, and some parts of of, um, Central and Eastern Europe still need more work whether it be on the reimbursement side, um, on the misinformation side, or uh, being able to really make biosimilars more accessible. The U.S. obviously is a huge global market, um, but it's definitely a market that is seeing formation about 10 years later than Europe. And so we continue to see biosimilars gaining momentum in the U.S., which is very exciting, Uh, but it's largely been in the oncology segment. And we still have a lot more work to do to, to make sure that the U.S. market is sustainable um, and a balanced and, and attractive as an ecosystem. So if, if I think about the whole global picture, I think we're in a really good place. Uh, biosimilars can really help solve the healthcare paradox that we're facing, particularly as we exit COVID-19 with the amount of debt and and challenges that healthcare systems face i think biosimilars are are in a good place to impact uh, both in europe the us and and the rest of the world and i think it's really a story of growth and and progress absolutely And uh, you can cl- quite clearly see some of the dynamism that
0: um that you mentioned within the biosimilar space particularly in in europe of course uh, over the last 10 15 years but particularly i suppose more within that sort of five to 10 year period, uh, looking at it. What do you think has been driving that dynamism, that uh, speed uh, of uptake within Europe?
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind is patient access and um, improvements or acceleration uh, for patient access to biologics. And we have a few examples coming out of Europe that are really motivating to see. Um, I, I live in uh, Munich, uh, Germany. So in our region, In 2015, rheumatoid arthritis patients had to wait about seven and a half years before they were treated with a biologic. But luckily, in 2015, there was the introduction of numerous biosimilars. And since that time, instead of waiting 7.4 years to be treated with a biologic, now patients have to wait about four months. Um, So even where where I live here locally, uh, it's been a huge improvement in accelerated access to biologics thanks to biosimilars. And the UK recently issued data that was also really exciting, um, where they're able to generate savings of four to 500 million pounds uh, by 2020-21, simply with the introduction of biosimilars. And patients really benefit, it's not just savings, but recently uh, UK uh, has issued guidance through uh, the NICE authority, that recommends the use of biologics now in moderate rheumatoid arthritis, where previously they were really only reserved for severe rheumatoid arthritis. And so suddenly you've got patients that are accessing biologics much earlier in their disease state, and it's all possible thanks to biosimilars being on the market and offering more competition and improved affordability. So that that's the first thing I think about is just the patient side of, of access. But there's also innovation. Whenever you introduce more competition and you have biosimilars competing in, in uh, a segment, all biosimilar developers and manufacturers are also Trying to bring improvements to the product, uh, whether that's how long they can be, you know, product can be kept out of the fridge, or um, certain uh, services for the patient, or new devices that make injections easier. These are new incremental innovations that are that are ultimately to the benefit of the patient.
0: And I suppose underpinning all of that is the growing levels of, of comfort from um, healthcare professionals around. Biosimilars, and how they they might be used and where they fit might fit into uh, the the, um, the treatment pathways, if you like. Um, do, do you think there's more education still needed maybe within Europe for healthcare professionals about biosimilars?
1: Yes, uh, i I do. i I think I can highlight two um, thoughts on this. on on one hand, biosimilars in uh, immunology and oncology are now widely used, uh, and there there is a higher comfort level. But that's not true in every country. There are um, many countries in Europe where there's a need for much more education and understanding of the offering where biosimilars uh, can make an impact. And then as we look to the future... Uh, biosimilars are expected to come into new therapy areas, whether that's ophthalmology or multiple sclerosis or in respiratory diseases. And so as the industry enters new therapy areas with the entry of new biosimilars, I think there's gonna have to be a lot of engagement uh, of healthcare systems, of patients, and of healthcare providers about what biosimilars are, why we have decades of of great evidence and experience behind them, and why they should be adopting um, biosimilars in these new categories.
0: And then looking, to, turning towards the, the regulatory picture, right? the development of uh, regulations for biosimilars is, was certainly a really interesting story to be following uh, going back again five to ten, 10 years as it Guidance started to be solidified. Uh, you had uh, that maybe slightly unusual situation of Europe being really quite far ahead of, of the US in terms of um, the regulatory approach to, to biosimilars. Within Europe, are you are you happy? Are you comfortable? If that's the right way of putting it, uh, in terms of uh, the regulatory foundations for biosimilars, or are there uh, is there still more work? that will need to be done, done there?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, my, my view would be that uh, we're in a good place today in Europe, although it's really now about progress. And the, the frame around why I say that is between now and 2025, there's an estimate that biosimilars can save the healthcare system about $285 billion. That's a huge sum of money. In fact, um, a good comparison are COVID vaccines, where globally the uh, expected amount to be spent on on COVID vaccines is 150 billion. So biosimilars actually can more than offset uh, COVID vaccine expenditures in the next five years. But of course, we have to think about the regulatory environment and the market structure that will allow for that to to happen. I think one of the the opportunities that we're seeing is the encouragement of tailoring of biosimilar development. The MHRA has recently issued formal guidance, which in in our view was a really positive step forward in encouraging clinical tailoring, where depending on each biosimilar and uh, the uh, analytical and technical development strength. The MHRA would be assessing with the developer and manufacturer whether or not a full clinical trial would be required for that biosimilar. And ultimately, if we can do that and do it successfully, we can bring to market even earlier biosimilar products that are going to reach patients that have the same efficacy, safety and quality as the originator. So that's a a good step forward. Uh, I think it's, it's an evolution that other regulators are going to follow uh, in time to come. The World Health Organization has signaled alignment and encouragement for us to continue in this direction. So the MHRA, I think is at the leading edge of the next step forward in terms of regulatory structure of the market.
0: And you mentioned that the uh, huge potential future cost savings um, in terms of healthcare spending, if you look back though, how would you say biosimilars have changed healthcare so far?
1: Well, I, I think there's a lot of evidence to show that biosimilars have done a lot of good. Um, as I shared earlier, you know, whether it's improving patient access here in Germany in rheumatoid arthritis, where instead of taking seven and a half years to access a the biologic therapy, now it just takes a few months. Um, but beyond that, there have been healthcare savings in the billions of dollars. Uh, Spain alone uh, shared an analysis that uh, over a decade, the healthcare system had saved 2 billion euros uh, thanks to the adoption of of biosimilars. So I I think that the benefits are there on access, sustainability and improved affordability in in Europe. Um, But of course there's a lot more that needs to be done because if you look at, Central and Eastern Europe, in particular, the real conundrum in some of those markets is access to biologics. And unless you have a framework for access to biologic therapy, it's very difficult for a biosimilar industry to form uh, thereafter. So, everything from um, patient pathways that identify the right patient um, and allow for those patients, the proper patients to access biologic therapy, and then thereafter improve that access with biosimilar competition and improved affordability, that's the opportunity. But it it does start with the market framework of uh, identifying government regulation and pathways that actually allow for patient access to biologic therapy.
0: And so can you talk a bit now about uh, Sandoz's own involvement with with biosimilars? I'd be fascinated to get your thoughts on maybe some of the the key milestones you've had in the recent past and also where you're headed next.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting journey. Um, So well before my time with the company, I've been with Sandoz now for three years. Uh, But way back in 1996, there were a group of pioneering scientists uh, within Sandoz who established the first biosimilar development program. And they worked in partnership with uh, European authorities to really create the framework for the first biosimilar. And 10 years after they started, they were able to achieve milestone in 2006 of having the world's first ever biosimilar approved. So we've come a long way since then. Uh, Our biodevelopment organization, Has extensive experience in biosimilar development. Um, Sandoz now has eight biosimilars approved and on the market. And we have more than 15 additional biosimilars in our development pipeline. And our biosimilars now are reaching patients in over 100 countries. And we have over 700 million patient days of experience. So there's a lot of impact that the company Legacy uh, has been able to deliver. And so we're excited about the future. Um, Today, we're largely in immunology, oncology, and endocrinology, but we're also building a pipeline that will expand into multiple sclerosis and ophthalmology as well. So that's exciting. So, Pierre, finally,
0: I'd like to look at uh, what you think are the really big issues in biosimilars that our listeners should be following.
1: Well, the big issue ahead definitely is going to be uh, the impact of the pandemic on healthcare resources and the call to action that we need around the value that biosimilars can bring to be part of the solution uh, to sustainable healthcare. And I I would bring to light a few examples of some of the issues that we will need to follow. Uh, First is to improve awareness and understanding of the value of biosimilars amongst physicians and patients, especially in new therapeutic areas where we're soon going to enter. Another area would be related to adopting policies that incentivize the use of biosimilars and making sure that there's an understanding of the long-term sustainability impact to the market. There are some really good practices like gain sharing where the savings from biosimilars can be shared with a healthcare clinic or healthcare system or allowing uh, multi-winner tenders to ensure that there's competitive sustainability. And then lastly, but very importantly, criteria beyond price where there's a value put on quality, supply, sustainability, and services to patients and clinicians, as well as ESG criteria. And beyond that, I think when it comes to misinformation around biosimilars We have to make sure that we continue to invest in education, uh, in outreach, and that the industry is working with government, uh, governmental healthcare systems or healthcare practitioners, and really providing people with accurate, timely information so that we can have trust and confidence. And I I think if we follow through uh, on some of these uh, pain points or, or challenge areas, I'm, I'm really confident and I'm excited about the progress that we're going to make. And we'll deliver a world where uh, biosimilars can help healthcare sustainability. They can help improved affordability. And then, lastly, and very importantly, they can help patient access to therapies that are life changing. So,
0: pl- plenty of ground covered to date, but also much more to, to tackle in the future. So, Pierre, yeah, thank you very much for joining me on the Pharma Forum podcast.
1: Great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope it's useful for your listeners.
0: And that concludes episode 44 of the PharmaForum podcast and my discussion with Sandoz's Pierre Bordage. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins and follow us on Twitter, where we are at PharmaForum.